Good morning, everyone. Thanks for, jo- for joining us for our, our Christmas service this morning. My name is John. I'm one of the elders here at Highlands, and uh, it's just great to be together with you to worship and to open God's Word. You know, one of the songs that we sang this morning, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, that is such a beautiful Christmas song. It's actually my favorite song during this time of year, and if you ask my family, they'll tell you, I sing it, I play it, I, I listen to it way too much during this time of year, but it's, it's so great. Um, the lyrics of that song are wonderful. There's a common phrase, there's a beckoning of God to come, O come, O come, Emmanuel. O come, O come, thou wisdom from on high, thou rod of Jesse, thou dayspring, thou key of David, great Lord of might, root of Jesse's tree. These are all different um, names for God, beckoning him to come and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Until the Son of God appears. And that's what Christmas really is all about, isn't it? If you're a Christian with us this morning, thank you for coming. Um, And you're probably well aware that the center of Christmas is Christ. It's Christ. All the celebrations this time of year, they should center around God sending his Son into the world. And if you're joining us this morning and you are not a Christian or you have not decided to follow Jesus yet, you are probably also aware that Christmas is um, about the birth of Jesus as described in the Bible. Right? That's some common knowledge that we have in our nation here. Whether you're a Christian or not, though, I would like everyone to be aware this morning of the manifold blessings of God that come to us through the birth of Jesus. I would like everyone to be aware of the reasons that Jesus came according to the scriptures, the inspired word of God. What does God tell us about his purpose and his blessings in sending his son into the world? It's one thing that we know what we celebrate at Christmas, Christ. That's important. It's really important. But it's also important that we understand the why. Why did he come? Why did Jesus come? Why did the Father send his son? And what does it have to do with us? Okay, what does it have to do with me? That's where I'd like to take us this morning. From the Word of God, I'd like to highlight four central purposes. Four central purposes in God sending his Son into the world some 2,000 years ago. And I'm sure there are probably more reasons than this. Actually, you can find other reasons the Scripture gives than just these four. God may have other reasons that he hasn't revealed to us in his Word. Okay, but he has made clear these four central purposes that I want to make clear to all of us this morning, okay? And this is coming from the Word of God. So if I was coming to you now with my own reasoning and my own wisdom, right, you have no reason to believe that's true. But the reasons I'm going to give this morning come from God and His Word. We have every reason to trust them and to believe them as true and trustworthy. Let's get right into it. The first purpose we find is this. The first purpose is this. God in sending His Son demonstrates his truthfulness and his faithfulness to his word and his promises. Okay, he demonstrates his truthfulness and his faithfulness to his word and his promises. If you have your Bible with you, you can open to Romans 15. We'll, we'll find this purpose there. Romans 15, beginning in verse 8. This is probably a text we normally don't go to on Christmas. But it's a great test, text. Starting in verse 8, Paul writes this to the Christian church in Rome. He says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness 
in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. Okay, I'll stop there. Something key here to note is Christ became a servant. It says Christ became a servant. Remember, Christ was not always a servant, but he became a servant. Remember, Jesus is God himself. Right? He has no beginning. He has no end. He existed eternally in, in eternity past with the other members of the Trinity, yet he came into the world as a servant, as a baby in a manger. And in this verse, namely, a servant to the circumcised, or that's a reference to the Jews, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm his promises that he gave to the patriarchs. Now, if you're wondering who the patriarchs are, the patriarchs are simply the fathers of the Jewish nation. Okay, it started with a man named Abraham who was called by God out of a foreign land and into the land of Canaan. Abraham had a son named Isaac, Isaac had a son named Jacob, and Jacob had 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel. And throughout the Old Testament scriptures, we see God making promises, promises to these patriarchs. Like we see in Genesis 26, where God makes a promise to Abraham. He says this, God speaking to Abraham, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and I will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Okay, that, that promise was made roughly 2,000 years before the birth of Jesus. God fulfilled this promise by sending Jesus into the world, who, by the way, was a descendant or of the lineage of Abraham. Okay, God blesses the whole earth through Jesus. God is true to his promise. In fact, if we survey the Old Testament, we'll find that it's filled with prophecy after prophecy where God spoke through people and he spoke about future events that would take place. Many of these were related to a coming Messiah or a chosen one or a deliverer who would redeem not only the Jewish people, but who the whole world would be blessed through him by receiving an offer of forgiveness for their sin. That's how the whole world is blessed by the coming of Christ. Okay, we'll go deeper into that later on in the sermon. The prophet Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah writes this roughly 700 years before the birth of Christ. In Isaiah 7:14, he says, "Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel." Okay, and 700 years later, what happens? Jesus is sent into the world, enters the world through a virgin birth, through Mary. God is shown to be truthful. He's shown to be faithful to his word and promise. And even Jesus himself, when he was on this earth, he confirms the absolute certainty of God's word being fulfilled. He says this in Luke 24:44. These words, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, that's all the Old Testament, they all must be fulfilled. They must be fulfilled. Did you know that scholars estimate conservatively that Christ fulfilled over 300 different biblical prophecies, Old Testament prophecies, from the place of his birth in Bethlehem to his earthly ministry to what he would do in giving sight to the blind and healing to the means of his death that he would be pierced for our transgressions and his resurrection. And all of these are fulfilled. In fact, God being truthful to his word is not something new we only see when Christ comes. It's something he has been doing all throughout the Old Testament with the nation of Israel. 
Okay, remember the promise that Abraham gave to, that God gave to Abraham, that he would give him the land. This is the land of Canaan. He promised him a land. Well, the book of Joshua is a book of conquest when the nation of Israel takes that land and God fulfills his promises to them. At the end of the book, the author writes this, not one word of all of the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. Not one word. All came to pass. God fulfilling his promises in Christ, it demonstrates his truthfulness. It demonstrates his truthfulness. And do you know what a blessing it is to us that our God is a truthful God? We can often overlook that. Like, we know he's truthful, right? But that's a, that's a huge deal for us. It really is. Because we can be sure that his promises to us will also come to pass. Namely, his promise to forgive and pardon the sin of those who put their faith in his son, Jesus. We can be absolutely certain that our sin debt was nailed to the cross of Christ and that there's no further payment that's necessary. There's no such thing as purgatory. There's no such thing as continuing to pay for sin if we are already trusting in Christ. The truth is, Christ either paid for all of your sin or he's paid for none of it. We're either trusting in him through faith alone or we're not. There's no middle ground there. Jesus paid it all. That's a trustworthy promise from a a trustworthy God. You know, when I I first came to faith, I was in my mid-20s, and um, I began reading the Bible, and it really came alive to me. And I remember one time, I was traveling to work downtown, and I was reading through the scriptures. I wasn't wasn't, uh, driving and reading. I was was taking uh, public transportation, so I was reading through the Bible. And I remember reading Jeremiah 31, where God talks about a new covenant promise that he gives to his people. And this covenant promise is unlike the old covenant promise that he gave to Moses and the nation on Mount Sinai with the commands and the law. But this new covenant is where he gifts his people with his spirit in a special way. And he gives them a heart of flesh and removes a heart of stone. And he causes them to walk in his statutes. And what was so fascinating to me at the time was that I had just experienced that exact thing in my life. So it's one thing to read about these things, but when we read about something we just experienced, right, where the sin that we used to enjoy is now becoming disgusting to us, and we want nothing but to turn to God and his word and to see what um, pleases him and to do his will. I just experienced that, and it just blew my mind that God wrote this through, or the prophet Jeremiah wrote this thousands of years before I was born. And he's bringing it to, to, to bear on his people as they come to him in faith. That is fascinating to me. God in sending his son is shown to be truthful and faithful to his word. Number two, second purpose. God in sending his son is glorified among the Gentiles for his mercy. He's glorified among the Gentiles for his mercy. Let me take you back to the same verse in Romans 15. I just read this, starting in verse 8. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. And here's the double meaning. Verse 9. And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. The Gentiles might glorify God for his mercies. If you're here this morning and you're not Jewish, that means you're Gentile. Okay, someone of non-Jewish lineage, that's probably most of us here, maybe not all of us, but I imagine that's probably most of us here. 
One of the reasons that Jesus became a servant in the world or was sent by the Father was so that you and me and we might worship and praise and give thanks and glorify God for his mercies to us. Remember the promise that God made to Abraham. I read it earlier that through Abraham, the lineage of Christ, the whole world would be blessed. Not just the Jews, but also the Gentiles. Okay, the Gentiles then are blessed by receiving the same offer of forgiveness, the same mercies that the Jews received, the offer of forgiveness that says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him, in Jesus, will not be put to shame. It's a promise that, come, that can be made true for everyone, Jew and Gentile. And what a blessing that is. What a blessing that is to us Gentiles because the scripture says that we were once far off, that we were separated from Christ. We were strangers to the promises. All of these promises that I'm reading here with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob came through the nation of Israel. The Gentiles were strangers to these. But now, in the fullness of time, Gentiles have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. It's a reason to rise up, to praise and glorify God for his mercy to us. And do you know what a blessing it is and what a privilege it is to be able to glorify God for his mercies? In fact, that's the very reason God created us, was to glorify him. And when we find ourselves doing that, when we find ourselves living out the revealed will of God where he wanted us to be and to glorify and adore and love him, we find things like joy and peace and meaning. We find purpose and contentment. And it's interesting because those things we all search for in this life, right? God knows that we have the desire for peace and contentment and joy. And he wants us to fulfill those desires in him. Not the things of this world, but him. And so it's a privilege when we get to to do what God created us to do, to glorify his name and to adore and to worship him. God in sending his son is glorified among the Gentiles for his mercy. Okay, number three. Third purpose we find. God in sending his son is shown to be righteous. He's shown to be righteous. If you have your Bible, turn to Romans 3.22. Romans 3.22. This is a very powerful verse. Okay? Um, I'm going to go through this pretty quickly. There's a lot of rich theology here. I won't have time to unpack everything. If you have questions about this, just come speak to me after or speak to someone here after. Starting in verse 22, Paul says, For there is no distinction... For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's quite a statement, right? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone. And that sin is a problem. Verse 24. And are justified, which means declared righteous by, by God in his sight. Okay, so we just we heard really bad news. All have sinned and fall short of God's glory. He had a perfect and holy standard for us, but everyone here falls short. We all fall short. Every human falls short. But then we can be justified or declared righteous. Well, how does that work? Okay, continue on. By his grace as a gift. 
We can be justified by God's grace as a gift, not something we could earn or deserve. That wouldn't be grace. Through what? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So it's only through Christ Jesus can we be declared righteous. Only through Christ Jesus. Verse 25, whom God put forward. God put his son forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Propitiation is simply to appease the wrath or exhaust or abate, remove the wrath of God and replace it with favor. That's what happens by the atoning sacrifice of Christ on the cross. The the wrath of the Father, the wrath that was stored up on people because of their sin was abated. It was removed because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, Why did he put forward Jesus? Here we go. Here's a purpose statement. This was to show God's righteousness. Isn't that interesting? How does that work? How does this show God's righteousness? God putting forward his own son to appease his own wrath was to show his own righteousness because in his divine forbearance or patience he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So many people struggle with this. I'll admit, I've struggled with this in the past. And this is a a question that actually comes up in our teens class uh, more often than not. this This is a fair question we often get. Why can't God just forget about our sins? Why can't he just forgive everyone and not require a payment? Why does there have to be a death? Why not just take our our sins and sweep them under the rug and move on and we all live happily ever after? There's a part of us that would maybe like to know why, right? Maybe we've had that same question in our minds. Well, if God did that, the truth is that would go against his perfect character. And God God does not act in contradiction to his character ever. He doesn't. And part of his attribute is that he is perfectly just and he's perfectly righteous. If he were to do that, it would infringe on his perfect and holy justice. And we can think about this in terms of an earthly judge. None of us would approve of an earthly judge who lets criminals go again and again and again for committing heinous crimes. We would not be okay with that. We would demand justice. We would want some payment for their for their crimes. Maybe we'd be less likely to demand justice if it comes to us. We like the grace, right? But we all, we all see a need for justice. But do you know how heinous our crimes against God are? Maybe we don't think of our sins in terms of that word, but our crimes against God, our sins against God are heinous because God is infinitely worthy of our love adoration, praise, and obedience. He's infinitely worthy of those things. There's no limit to his worthiness to receive those things from us. And when we don't give him those things, the penalty for the crime, the just penalty for the crime, should be equally infinite. That's why the just penalty for those who sin against God is eternal. It never ends. Right? Eternal suffering away from God And in hell, that's the just penalty for those who end up dying in their sins. 
who reject God's offer of forgiveness through faith in his son. But what this verse is saying is that God sent Christ to show clearly and plainly that the former sins he passed over, meaning he didn't punish everyone immediately when they sinned. When his people sinned, he didn't immediately give them what they deserve, which is death. Think of, think of David. David steals a man's wife and then kills the man. Okay? And when he's confronted, God tells him, I put away your sin. You shall not die. Well, where's the justice in that? How is that just? Those sins, the sins of his people, would ultimately be atoned for. The penalty would be paid in full, and God's perfect righteousness is preserved. He is still just, even though he doesn't give people what they deserve. Why? Because his justice still goes forth on Christ. His justice still goes forth on Christ, who took the full measure of God's wrath in our place. And this is the heart and the glory of the gospel. This is why it all works together so beautifully. God's perfect design where he can still be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in his son. It's glorious. Number four, and this is the last one. I want to leave you with this one this morning. Okay, and this is simply, God has sent his son to save sinners. God sent his son into the world to save sinners. You know when it's obvious that God wants you to see this purpose, when he doesn't want you to miss this purpose of him, you know what he does? He plasters it all across his word. Okay, we see this all through the New Testament. We see it everywhere. Here's just a sampling. Mark 10:45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Luke 19:10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. John 3:17. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. John 12, 47, Jesus speaking, For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. 1 John 4, 10, And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the atoning sacrifice or propitiation for our sins. 1 John 4, 14, And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. And this is why we celebrate Christmas. This is why we celebrate This is why this time of year should be an overwhelmingly joyful time of year. There's so much to be thankful for and at the center of all of it is the fact that God has sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to die for sin and whoever places their faith in him alone as Lord and personal Savior in relationship, personal Savior, will be forgiven. What more joy could we hope for on Christmas? If you're here this morning and you're join, or joining us online and you have not done that, if you've not accepted Christ, I just encourage you to consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. And remember the God who sent him. Remember he's truthful. He's faithful to his word and his promises. He's deserving of receiving glory, praise, adoration from all of us. He's perfectly righteous and he's just. And to top it all off, he loves us. This God loves us. All of these things are demonstrated through the sending of his son into the world that first Christmas. And if you've not accepted Christ, 
Remember, God wants you, and he wants you to come as you are. There's no reason to delay. There's no reason to wait until you have it all together, right? Let me, let me get rid of these things, then I'll come to Christ. That's not, that's not what he wants. He says, come as you are, but be prepared, because you won't stay as you are. Jesus will have his way with you and turn you by degree more and more into his own image. Okay, remember, this is why Jesus came, to save. Charles Spurgeon says this in one of his sermons. I feel as if I could burst out into weeping for some here who have been spending their living riotously and gone far away from God their Father by their evil ways. I know they are afraid to come back. Maybe that's some of us here this morning. I know they are afraid to come back. They think that the Lord will not receive them, that there is no mercy for such sinners as they have been. Oh, but think of it. Jesus Christ has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He was born to save. If he does not save, he was born in vain. For the object of his birth was salvation. If he shall not be a savior, then the mission of God to earth has missed its end. For its design was that lost sinners might be saved. That's God's design. 1 Timothy 1.15 says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That saying is trustworthy and it is deserving of full acceptance because it comes, it originates from a trustworthy God. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Have you accepted his salvation? Have you accepted his offer of forgiveness through faith alone in his Son? 